The second night of last week's first Democratic presidential primary debate ended with Sleepy Joe's campaign in freefall. We will examine the attack from Kamala Harris that knocked the frontrunner down a peg. Then, conservative journalist Andy Ngo is brutally beaten by Antifa in Portland. We will analyze how it happened, why it happened, how we got here. Then, more pride pandering from Democrats, all that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I was so devastated that last week's second night of Democrat primary debate was Thursday night because I did not have the opportunity to just relive it all with you on the show on Friday. No Friday show, but we will get to all of it. It was somehow even more ridiculous than the previous night. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I have got to thank a wonderful sponsor. You know that I'm on the internet all the time. I mean, I live on the internet. I am coming to you right now from the internet. So that means you're probably on the internet too. We all are. And that means that our precious, precious data are out there for big tech companies and hackers to just suck up. This is why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps are powerful. Uh, their apps use rather powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone. You won't even know that it's on. Then you just use the internet exactly as you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and voila, there you are. You're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either, because I know what you think. You think, oh, they're not going to come for my data. Nobody wants my data. What do I even have on my computer? Let me tell you something. If you're watching this show, you probably look at some pretty weird stuff on the internet. You probably have a lot of data on there you don't want to get out. ExpressVPN costs less than seven bucks per month, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. There is no reason not to get this. I know. Listen, don't be a cheapskate. Don't think you don't need it. You need it. ExpressVPN uses cutting-edge technology. It's called Trusted Server to make sure that there are no logs of what you do online. Go ahead, do whatever you want to do on the internet. Whether that means looking at weird websites or looking at the Daily Wire, you know what I mean. Stop the hackers today. Big tech companies, stop Big Brother from grabbing all your data. Take back your online privacy with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Michael. That is E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, for three months free with a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash Michael to learn more. So I'm watching this Democrat primary debate. I was playing the drinking game last Thursday, the Democrat debate drinking game, where I pour a lot of booze into my cup. And then whenever they start talking, I drink. And it was just a pretty fun drinking game. I highly recommend it. I had deja vu all over again when that debate started because the second night of debate began in exactly the same way as the first night of debate with Pete Buttigieg this time, instead of Beto O'Rourke, randomly speaking Spanish. Say hello and good evening, buenas noches to uh, Mayor uh, Buttigieg. Buenas noches, gracias de invitarnos. Gusto en verlo, caballero. Why do you have to do that? Why does, this is America, we don't speak Spanish here. Now in Buttigieg's defense, he was at least asked the question in Spanish the night before when Beto started randomly butchering the Spanish language. He just did it. He just voluntarily did it. In this case, the moderator, Ho Jose diaz Balart asked him, he said, buenos noches. Mayor, Mayoro Pito or whatever, you know. And so Buttigieg responded that way. This is very offensive. Jose diaz Balart should not be asking questions in Spanish. If you want to ask questions in Spanish of presidential candidates, then you should moderate debates in Spanish-speaking countries. 
anywhere in Latin America, South America, I guess not Brazil. You could go to Spain and moderate a debate, but not in America. We speak English here. Now, Buttigieg doesn't totally get off the hook here. If I were in this debate, I guess I was in this debate because Eric Swalwell was there and I am Eric Swalwell. But if I had been standing there in my own body and I was asked a question in Spanish by Jose Diaz-Balart, I would say, I would answer in English and I would say, also, Jose, I'd just like to ask that you ask questions in, in English here because we're in America and I'm running to be president of the United States, not president of Mexico or of Guatemala or of El Salvador. Now, obviously, the Democrats can't do this because the Democrats, basically the only tool they have left is racial pandering, pandering to allegedly aggrieved victim groups. But the pandering got a whole lot crazier than just Buttigieg speaking in Spanish. The moderator asked a question of the entire panel. She said, how many of you in your healthcare plans would provide free health insurance for illegal aliens? Guess how many candidates raised their hand? Raise your hand if, gover- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Spoiler alert, it's all of them. Every single one of them raised their hand and told 100% of potential voters that they would take their money and give it away to criminals, to people who are, their first act in America is violating our laws. I guess maybe not 100% of potential Democrat voters because of illegal alien voter fraud, motor voter, and digging up dead bodies in Illinois. So maybe not 100%, maybe only 97% of voters, they were telling that. But that is really awful. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to say, I'll give away everything for free. Hey, do you want to, do you want more free stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm the, I'm the more free stuff candidate. But think about what that also says. You are, when you give away something as valuable, as free health insurance to any illegal alien who breaks our laws, you are creating an incentive to keep breaking the laws. So not only are they they saying that they're not going to secure the border, they're not going to build the wall, they're not going to get us border protection. In some cases, they're saying we need to decriminalize border crossing. They're also saying we're going to create a huge financial incentive for people to cross that border illegally. And don't forget, when you encourage people to cross that border illegally, you are empowering some of the worst people on earth drug traffickers who are poisoning our entire country, sex traffickers who are abusing women and girls, according to Fusion and Amnesty International and the Huffington Post, 60 to 80% of women and girls who cross that border illegally are raped along the journey. When you create that major incentive for them to do it, you are increasing the likelihood that that is going to happen. You are empowering the abusers and the predators who are preying on these, these vulnerable people. This trend of free stuff for everybody, not just citizens, everybody in the whole world. This trend of free stuff continued throughout the whole debate. It was mostly a pretty boring debate. It's what you would expect until Kamala Harris came out and decided that she was just going to shank Joe Biden live on stage and watch him and his political career bleed out on national television. So Out of the blue, Kamala Harris opens up a line on Joe Biden and she says, listen, Joe, I don't think you're a racist, but, and as you know, when you say, but you negate everything that you said before that, especially in politics. So she opens up this line of attack and basically accuses Joe Biden of racism for working with segregationist senators 30 or 40 years ago, more than that at this point in the U S Senate for having a working relationship with segregationists 
in the Democrat party. So it's not like these were Republicans. They were Democrats and saying that because Joe Biden didn't support a federal policy going into school districts and mandating busing, that he was some sort of racist. And I got to say, it was a very effective attack. In this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Okay, pretty powerful stuff, pretty brutal attack on Joe Biden. The trouble with it is that it's mostly not true. Berkeley was never segregated by law. She's trying to pretend she grew up in like the middle of Alabama. She didn't. She grew up in one of the most progressive democratic districts in all of America. Berkeley, it's Berkeley in the 60s and 70s. This is about as radical as it gets. So they never had segregation by law there. Now they did in fact have a sort of segregation because there was still redlining. It was still hard for black families to move into certain neighborhoods. You had basically Un, unspoken of codes that black people either couldn't move in or it'd be very difficult. So it is the case that the elementary school she went to didn't have a ton of black people for much of the 1960s. The middle schools and the high schools around her were quite racially integrated. There were a lot of black students there. The elementary schools a little bit less so. However, that ended before Kamala Harris got there. Actually, it ended a long time before Kamala Harris got there. Actually, it started to end before Kamala Harris ever was born. We'll explain exactly what that looked like and where her answer was full of lies. But first, support for The Michael Knowles Show comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Finding the right house isn't easy. You're telling me I've been looking for a house now for probably six months. And just, just the part of figuring out which house you'd want to buy is such a mess you know, especially living in LA. At least though, finding the right mortgage is easy because Rocket Mortgage makes it easy. Their team of mortgage experts is obsessed with finding a better way, which means that their number one goal is to make the home buying process smoother for you. They have industry leading online lending technology developed in the heart of Detroit. Rocket Mortgage is changing the game. It's there with award-winning client service and support every step of the way. Quicken Loans has helped millions of Americans achieve their dream of home ownership. And when you're ready to purchase the home of your dreams, they can help you too. I love these guys. I think they're great. When I do finally make the move, pull the trigger, get a house or a condo, those are, there, there's no question who I'm going to use. Quicken Loans just makes it so easy. They are ranked the highest in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination nine years in a row, and they're the highest in mortgage servicing five years in a row. When you work with them, you get more than just a loan because Rocket Mortgage is more than just a lender. 
More, your mortgage really matters. It's not just any mortgage. It's your mortgage. You're going to have to deal with this for a long time. Make sure you go to the best. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Take the first step forward. The home of your dreams. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Push button. Get mortgage. So Kamala Harris, this big, you know, huge, obviously premeditated attack on Joe Biden. He's standing there. He knows what's coming. He's just taking it. But it's full of holes. Berkeley was never segregated by law. And Kamala Harris's school was quite diverse even before she got there. So her school had black students in it, not the year she got there, not the year before she got there, but actually all the way back in 1963, six or seven years before she got there. They had 15 black students at that time, the year before she was born. That was 3% of the student body. So busing had already integrated the middle and high schools by 1967. At that point, this is two years before Kamala Harris got there, black students represented about 10% of her elementary school. After busing by 1968, year before she got there, black enrollment had jumped up to 37%. You've got to remember, bl- black Americans are 12% of the population. So obviously this varies significantly based on neighborhood and based on community. But 37% is quite good. By 1970, which was the end of Kamala Harris's first year there, black enrollment was up to 41%. So the claims that she's making, that she was this pioneer of, of racial integration in her elementary school. Historically, quite dubious, but the attack worked very well. See, the Democrats always want to portray themselves as the civil rights pioneers, which is ironic because for almost all of American history, they were the opponents of civil rights. Even today, they're strongly the opponents of civil rights. Very literally, they want, they attack our first amendment rights. They attack our second amendment rights. They attack all, all of our basic civil rights in this country. Now, a lot of the pundits are giving Kamala Harris credit for winning this exchange. And I, I think that's true. She did win this exchange. But bad news from a longtime Democrat politician and someone who knows Kamala Harris all too well, Willie Brown says none of these people can beat Joe Biden. Who's Willie Brown? Old San Francisco politician. Most important for this story is that Willie Brown basically started Kamala Harris's political career in his bed while he was married. Kamala Harris engaged in an extramarital affair with Willie Brown while he was still married. And then as a result, he put her on some council and launched her political career. So he has a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle today called Bad News for Democrats. None of these candidates can beat Trump. He writes, quote, California Senator Kamala Harris got all the attention for playing prosecutor in chief, but her case against former Vice President Joe Biden boiled down in some ways to a ringing call for forced school busing. It won't be too hard for Trump to knock that one out of the park in 2020. And that's right. The the busing issue is not popular. It wasn't even popular in the 1970s, really, among really any group of people. It, It never had uniform support and it didn't really work. Sort of worked. In some places it did. But in many places today, schools are more segregated than they were in 1970 because people are choosing to live with people who look like them. That's not because of any federal policy. It's not because of any de jure segregation. It's because of individual choices. And so if, uh, does Kamala Harris really think that she's going to win an election by rehashing a basically unpopular policy from the 1970s? That's the best that they've got. 
Uh, Brown goes on in his piece. He says, Biden did himself zero favors by telling Harris that he opposed only busing that was ordered by the federal government. It was a weird endorsement of states' rights and local uh, jurisdictions' right to uh, segregate schools. That's the best argument he could marshal against busing little kids across, miles across town. And that's the question. Are we, obviously you want to portray yourself as the most racially inclusive candidate, the most racially progressive candidate, the least racist candidate. But what is the issue they're actually talking about? Forced federal busing in school districts? So Joe Biden, obviously he gets hit. Harris lands the punch. Biden tries to respond. He starts to do a pretty good job of responding. Harris smacks him down again. Do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Then, no, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the, the second class to integrate Berkeley, the, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because That's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. I have people. supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning. Okay, it's a good hit. And then she talks about all these awful policies like the ERA, which would abolish uh, different sex bathrooms, basically. It would abolish different sex sports, different sex education. That's the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. It was shot down in this, also a failed policy of the 1970s. Uh, but that's all Democrats can do is just rehash what they view as the glory days of activism, even though those alleged glory days have a lot of very bad ideas that go along with them. You can see at the very end there, Biden starts to get his groove back. He starts to hit his progressive stride again. He goes, I've always supported the ERA. I've always supported this and that. And so he's, he's doing pretty well. And then incredibly, he just collapses. 30 seconds, because I want to bring other people into this. I supported the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody, once they, in fact, they should, anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. What are you thinking? My time's up, period. Quote, Joe Biden. That's going to be the motto of the campaign. Biden 2020. Eh, my time's up. Yeah, your time is up, Joe. You're sure. He had been doing pretty well, but he collapsed because he didn't know how to end it. He didn't know how to stick the landing. It, that moment made me realize why Trump gave him the nickname Sleepy Joe. Initially, I sort of suspected it was something like this. When he gave him the nickname Sleepy Joe, I thought, why did he pick sleepy? There, Joe Biden's kind of creepy. I guess it rhymes with creepy. Maybe that's good. Joe Biden's disingenuous. He's a liar. He's a hack. Why not lion Joe? Why not plagiarizing Joe? Why not creepy Joe? But sleepy is the attack because he's really old. Look, Trump is no spring chicken, but Trump has so much energy. He, didn't he describe himself as youthful and vibrant? That's, that, that does describe Trump. Biden, not so much. I mean, Biden just ran out of steam. It was like, oh, what was I going? What were we talking about? Anyway, I'm done. My time's up. Yeah, my time is up. And he actually had a good point to make. So this question of busing, people don't really like busing. 
Even progressive activists, alleged, they don't really like busing. Even when you do polls of black voters, they don't love busing. And of all people, Bernie Sanders on ABC News later on explained the problems with busing. And that means we have to focus on fair housing legislation and enforcement. But does that also mean busing? Because your website actually says that you're coming out for yeah. repealing of the, of the ban on funding for busing. No, we, busing is certainly an, an option that is necessary in certain cases, but it is not the optimal. Does anybody think it's a good idea to put a kid on a bus, travel an hour to another school, into another neighborhood that he or she doesn't? No, that's not the optimal. What is the optimal is to have great community schools which are integrated. That's what I think most people want to see. That's what I want to see. Of course. I mean, that makes perfect sense. The, the issue, the reason that they had busing in the first place is because of redlining. It's because uh, certain neighborhoods black people weren't allowed to move into. Fortunately, now a lot of that de facto segregation is gone. That's over. So the question then becomes why are schools still segregated in many ways. And, and a lot of that is just by choice. It's by individual choice. Certain people choose to live in certain neighborhoods. Though they could now, now that we're no longer in the 60s, 70s, or even 80s, though they could live in other neighborhoods, they just choose not to. So now is the federal government supposed to go in and say, no, you're not allowed to live in the neighborhood you want to live in. You have to move to a different neighborhood because Kamala Harris says so or something. Does anybody really want that? That's not optimal. And do you really want to put a kid, a little five-year-old kid on a bus as Bernie says, go an hour to some town that he doesn't know and go to school with people that he doesn't really interact with much. And is that ideal? No, of course not. I mean, Bernie, to his credit, he says, guys, are we really going back to this? This is what we're going to do. But it's because the Democratic Party has now run to the left of Bernie Sanders. Biden couldn't make that argument. He just fell apart because he's not smart. I've been saying this time and again, since Biden is the leader of the pack, I say at, at a certain point, we're going to remember that Joe Biden's a total doofus. He's been a doofus for his entire political career. There's a reason he ran in 1988 for president and collapsed. And then he ran in 2008 for president and collapsed and he didn't get anywhere. And he's a joke and he hasn't really accomplished anything even over his 750 years in the U.S. Senate. And the reason is he just ain't that sharp. He's not He's not an accomplished guy. He's been in politics a long time. That requires a certain skill, but he's not ready for true prime time. And I'm sorry to say the Kamala Biden exchange was basically the intellectual highlight of that entire night. The rest just descended into outright idiocy. And for outright idiocy, I turn, of course, to my favorite presidential candidate this year, myself, Eric Swalwell. Keep your pistols, keep your rifles, keep your shotguns but we can take the most dangerous weapons from the most dangerous people. So he contradicted himself, obviously. I don't know if you could hear that. He says, you can keep your shotguns, you can keep your rifles, keep your pistols, but we're going to take the most dangerous guns away. So then I said, okay, I've let me just Google and pistols are the most dangerous guns. It's not hard to find this statistic out. Which is the most dangerous gun? You go to the FBI statistics, you find out pistols are more dangerous than any other weapon by a factor of about 3.6. Almost by a factor of four, pistols are the most dangerous gun. But Eric Swalwell doesn't know that because Eric Swalwell doesn't know anything. He's just, he's the glibest candidate in the entire race. He's just running on totally empty slogans. You know, he ended up endorsing this Russian 
collusion conspiracy again. No one talked about Mueller directly, but a few candidates alluded to Russia. So he was asked, what's the first thing that President Swalwell, I don't know how the moderator even got that phrase out without bursting into laughter. Uh, what's, what is the first thing that President Swalwell would do in the realm of foreign policy? And he answered with the glibness and the self-satisfaction of a 16-year-old running for high school class president. My first act in foreign policy, we're breaking up with Russia and making up with NATO. Thank you all. The smile, if you could just see the smile on his face there. He just got that. We're breaking up with Russia, making up with NATO. Yeah, that was a good one, Eric. Good job. Oh man, Eric, you're so cool. People love you, Eric. So that was Eric uh, Swalwell. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, because he is me, that I'm probably not going to win the Democratic nomination this year. Neither is Eric Swalwell. But the greatest candidate of the night was not Kamala, was not Biden, was not Bernie, was not Swalwell. The greatest candidate of the night was new age author and activist, Marianne Williamson, who somehow managed to get on that debate stage. And she gave a direct threat and message to President Trump. I'm sorry we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and sir, love will win. I love her. She may not have won the debate, but she won our hearts. She's this new age hippie type. She says things like reach into the psyche of the American people for fear and love. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, but she's totally committed to it. I, I love her. I think she's great. Some conservatives have started donating to her campaign so that she gets better placement in the debates. I think that's very funny, though I will say my heart is with the OG Marianne Williamson, the man who has been running like this for 20 years and he's, he's running this time, but he didn't get enough donors or polling or something to get into the debate this time around. We're hoping he gets into the debate next time. I speak, of course, of 89-year-old former Alaskan Senator Mike Gravel, left of Vladimir Lenin, famously produced a two-minute long commercial in 2008 of him just staring into a camera and then dropping a rock into a pond. I don't know if, you've, if you ever saw this. Take a look. Have in. He just stares kind of cock-headed into the camera. Then he walks backwards along the bank of a pond in the woods somewhere. He picks up a big rock and he, he throws the rock into the pond. And it splashes. And then the screen says Gravel2008.us. I need that man to get on the 2020 Democratic debate stage. So I'm really hoping while conservatives are donating to Marianne, I don't want to take a penny out of Marianne's uh, crystal filled pockets, but we also have to get Mike Ravel on that stage. Also because his campaign is being run by high school students. There, there was a, a video of this on Vice on HBO where they interviewed the teenagers who were running his presidential campaign. 
the funny thing about this is that it's it kind of transcended a particular interest. It just seemed too exciting of an idea to not do. None of the people at this table want Mike Gravel to be president, including Mike Gravel. Yeah, I don't want to be president. Yeah. I'm, I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> the plan is to get Gravel enough donors to make the 2020 Democratic debate stage and then poke Democrats with extremely lefty takes. Nothing's happened in my issues in 10 years. And that's what persuaded me to give you my Twitter account. <laughs> and, and you're just using me. Yeah. And I don't mind being used. <laughs> I love him. I can't wait until he gets on that debate stage. Uh, so what's the takeaway? Who won the second night of this debate? The, the answer is, of, the, of those, the, the total answer is Donald Trump. He, he won the night. Of the Democrat candidates, Elizabeth Warren won, even though she wasn't there, because Kamala got her shot in, but she didn't prove very much about herself. It actually reminded me of that time where Chris Christie in 2016 basically just destroyed Marco Rubio's life in real time on live television, and it totally killed Rubio, but it, it actually didn't really help Christie. Do you remember this? But I would add this, let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become once again the single greatest nation in the history of the world, not the disaster Barack Obama has imposed upon us. You see everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington DC does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. See, Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's there the it reason is, why this camp- Oh, it was just so awful. It was when Marco Bot just, he just kept going, we must dispel with this notion that we must dispel the Obama and And Christie just shanked him. I mean, like the prosecutor that he is. So it was brutal for Marco. It didn't do anything for Chris Christie. We're not currently living in the Christie administration. He got out basically right after that. So the Kamala thing did seriously hit Biden. I think, depending on which poll you look at, it knocked him down five to 10 points in the polls. But did it really help her? Gave her a little bit of a bump. But what is her path? Is she really going to be the candidate moving forward? Also, where is Bernie Sanders? You know, he didn't have a breakout moment in this debate at all. Uh, Buttigieg was pretty impressive, but again, he didn't really make the case that he's ready. He, he made the case that he's actually got a lot of problems with his leadership back in South Bend. I got to agree with Willie Brown on this. I think that right now, none of these candidates, none of them beat Donald Trump. So what the left is going to do, because none of those candidates can beat Donald Trump, is that they are going to literally and physically beat conservatives. Antifa, the left-wing terrorist group, came out, they brutally beat many people over the weekend at a Patriot prayer rally, including journalist Andy No. They actually gave him a brain hemorrhage. And people in the media, people in corporations, people in politics are defending Antifa, making excuses for it. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Go to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get the Matt Walsh show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get to ask questions backstage. You get another kingdom. You get 
the leftist tears tumbler. Going to be very, very important when we sue these guys into the ground and the left-wing terror group Antifa for their terrorist activities. We'll get to it in a second. Go to Daily Wire. We'll be right back. So at this Patriot prayer rally over the weekend, Antifa came out in their masks and their black shirts and they brutally beat people. They cracked people's skulls, elderly people, and journalists. Andy No was out there. He's an editor at Quillette and he was out there just covering Antifa. He got brutally beaten and then sent to the hospital with a brain bleed. Here's just one clip. So you see him just getting absolutely clobbered, being hit with all sorts of substances, being punched in the head. This is in downtown Portland. The question obviously is, where are the police? There are reports that the police were told to stand down, not get involved. Where are the police? They're roving gangs of violent political terrorists on the street and the police do nothing. This has been going on in Portland for months. Where's the mayor? Nowhere. He's totally surrendered his town to terrorists. And Antifa is a domestic terrorist group. They meet the definition. They use violence against civilians to achieve political ends. That's the most basic definition of terrorism that there is. And they say that they're anti-fascist. They meet almost every single definition of fascism. They, it's very hard to get a definition of fascism. Uh, Everybody uses it. It's been totally overly defined. Mussolini did give a definition of it in 1932. He described it as violent. He described it as anti-democratic. He described it as authoritarian, as desirous of absolute state power. That describes these guys to a T. They even dress like fascists. The, the fascists in Italy are called the camicia nere, the black shirts. The, the Antifa uniform is to wear a black shirt. It's to wear all black and they're wearing that. So you've got these Antifa fascists and then you've got people making excuses for it. I mean, what happened to Andy over the weekend was attempted murder. You've seen in the the past few weeks, there's a new tactic to physically assault conservatives, which is to throw milkshakes at them. It's called milkshaking. It's really funny. Burger King sent out a tweet in the UK. They said, we're selling milkshakes. If you guys want to buy them, implying that they can throw them at politicians. Carlos Maza, that little punk who tried to get Crowder and all conservatives kicked off of YouTube. He said, milkshake them all saying milkshake, throw milkshakes at conservatives. A lot of, a lot of people saying that over the weekend, the Antifa guys in Portland put quick drying cement in the milkshake cups. So as they throw them, they're throwing basically bricks at people's heads. That's how they were cracking so many skulls. That is attempted murder. And people make excuses for them. Even after this happened, there was a, a checkmark, a blue, che- blue checkmark leftist on Twitter named Sarah Gailey, who tweeted out, quote, if we can't throw milkshakes, I guess we'll have to go back to throwing bricks. Of course, no consequences for her whatsoever. When people on Twitter, conservatives or even some feminists tweet out and say, men are not women, they get kicked off of Twitter. 
That happened to the, the, author, the editor of a feminist journal. She said, men are not women. She got kicked off of Twitter for that. But then someone tweets out and says, we should throw bricks at conservatives. And no, no issue at all. A bunch of journalists, self-proclaimed journalists, fake journalists, basically blamed Andy No for, for the attack. They said he was asking for it. C.J. Whirlman said that senior reporter for Huffington Post, Christopher Mathias, called Andy a fascist snowflake for complaining about, about his brain bleed and the attack. All of these people, you know, the, the New York Times ran a piece from Kate Cronin Foreman, who's an assistant professor of human rights, which is com- completely fake. What is, what is a professor of human rights? That's not a real discipline. She wrote this piece in the New York Times and said that we need to dox border patrol agents at the border. We need to give out their personal information, their names, their addresses, where their families live. The implication being that they'll stop doing their jobs because they fear for the physical safety of their family. The left has become violent and authoritarian. And what bothers me, the, I'm not even that bothered by the attack. I feel bad for Andy. He's a, Andy's a very nice guy. These attacks happen. Attacks do happen. It's sad. It's awful. It, I wish the police had done something. I wish that the mayor had done something. But that, that always happens. What's so perverse about this is it's being defended by by journalists, by the media, by corporations, by politicians. It's even being defended by some people on the right. You know, months and months ago, after Charlottesville, when President Trump's comments were completely twisted and made to mean something that he explicitly said they don't mean, conservatives pointed out that there were Antifa people in Charlottesville as well, and that they're a domestic terrorist group and they're really awful. And Mitt Romney came out and tweeted and he said, you know, there, there's no moral equivalence. He said, quote, no, not the same. One side is racist, bigoted Nazi. The other opposes racism and bigotry, morally different universes. He's, he's excusing Antifa. Mitt Romney. Incredibly, we nominated this guy for president in 2012. This guy who sides with Antifa. And, and how he, look, he obviously got it wrong here. He thinks that those guys aren't bigoted. He thinks those guys don't behave like Nazis. He thinks, I mean, those guys are as bad as anybody in America. I mean, they are actual domestic terrorists. They are actually cracking people's skulls open. Why does Romney do this stuff? Why do other so-called conservatives or right-wingers do this? Why would they side with Antifa? It's because those types of conservatives, the ones who say I'm a conservative, but not that kind of conservative, they actually think that their side is bigoted. They actually think that their side is sort of the bad guys. And so they don't ever give their side the benefit of the doubt. They say, oh, the left, they're really the good guys. I mean, I want lower taxes, so I'll side with the conservatives. But there are a lot of wacko birds, like John McCain called them. Crazies, awful people, bigots, all of that. But every side has their bigots. Antifa is possibly the worst organization in this entire country. And you've got the entire techno, media, political apparatus defending them. They're still on Twitter. The people who are defending them are still on Twitter. You know, when I was attacked at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, by what was luckily a non-toxic series of fluids, I don't want to even get into what those fluids were, luckily it was non-toxic. What happened? Did the local politician, the local chancellor of the university, did he apologize? No, he smeared me as a bigot. What about the local paper? Did the journalists come out and say, 
we really shouldn't be doing this, guys. We shouldn't have political violence on campus. No, they made fun of me. They did the same thing that, that they did to Andy, who obviously had a much, much worse attack. So there was a great, uh, a great tweet that came out from Andy's lawyer, Harmeet K. Dillon. Tweet said, quote, good night, everyone, except Antifa criminals who I plan to sue into oblivion and then salt, so salt into their yoga studios and avocado toast stands until nothing grows there. Not even the glimmer of a violent criminal conspiracy aided by the effete impotence of a cowed city government. And this is right. We obviously, you've got to sue these guys into the ground. You've got to throw them in jail for as long as possible. And the ones who attempted murder should hang by a rope after they are convicted of their crimes by the civil authority. But we've got it. They're not, thugs are going to be thugs. We've got to take this fight to the politicians, to the media, and to the big tech companies who are, who are encouraging it. And we need to also sue them into oblivion for, for their bias on their platforms, for not enforcing their laws uniformly, and for encouraging and defending threats of violence against conservatives. Because what this does, what they do when they have their paramilitary wing, the Antifa, go out and crack some conservative skulls, is they say, oh, that's bad. Oh, we sure shouldn't have that. Bad, bad Antifa. They give them a little slip, slap on the wrist. And then Antifa still gets to run Portland. And what it says is it sends a message to all of us. Maybe you better shut your mouth or maybe you'll be next. Oh, hey, Michael, you just got sprayed with some weird, weird smelly liquid when you were at the University of Missouri. Okay, maybe it'll be worse next time. Maybe you'll get your skull cracked open. Maybe you should think twice before you go to a, on a campus tour. Maybe conservatives should think twice before they hold a rally for patriotism and prayer in Portland. Really, really scary stuff. Obviously, we'll keep you updated on how Andy is doing. Really brutal attack for him. And, and there has been no answer from corporate America, from the media, or from politicians. Completely separate story. On the other side of the world, President Trump was on the Korean Peninsula. And he was visiting South Korea and he just sent out a tweet. And the tweet basically said, hey, I'm in South Korea. Uh, if Kim Jong-un wants to meet, I'll meet with him. And Kim Jong-un accepts the invitation. And President Trump becomes the first U.S. president in history to cross the DMZ and go into North Korea. It, it was an amazing moment. Here's President Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un talking about it. I think the relationship that we've developed has, uh, has meant so much to so many people. And it's just an honor to be with you. And it was an honor that you asked me to step over that line. And I was proud to step over the line. Okay, so there are other moments. You can see the moments where he crosses over the line. You can see the moments where the new White House press secretary is just pushing these North Korean thugs out of the way because they wouldn't let American media in. She was fearless. She was great. And... President Trump's impromptu meeting is being criticized by all the usual suspects, the pearl clutchers on the right and the left who will criticize him for anything. And they say that the big risk is that he's legitimizing Kim Jong-un. He should never meet with the Kims because that will legitimize them. What does that mean? The Kims have been in power in North Korea since 1948. Our policy hasn't worked. It obviously hasn't worked. You've gone through three generations of Kims and they keep developing their weapons. They stay in power. Nothing matters. At least President Trump is trying something new. Works for me. You know, the other thing about this, and no one gives him credit for it, is he is the most anti-war president in my lifetime. This guy, he called off an attack on Iran because 150 people would have been killed by it. 
This guy's meeting with Kim Jong-un, it actually shows a great humility. He's saying, I'm not concerned about my own pride or I'm not concerned about the image and the optics. I will do anything, including more or less humiliating myself by meeting with this tin pot dictator if it means that there's even a possibility of peace. You know, he said this is a historic moment and it will be more historic if something actually comes of it. I don't think he's optimistic. I don't think he has unrealistic expectations, but he's doing something. Nothing that we were doing before got the Kims out of power. Nothing we were doing before got North Korea to denuclearize. So Trump tries something new. He's so far given nothing away other than photos. I'm, I'm for it. You know, it's, this isn't like Obama with Iran, where Obama gives Iran the path to a nuclear weapon, literally sends them pallets of cash on airplanes. It isn't like that. What have we given North Korea? We've given them photo ops. If we can get any progress on the North Korean situation in exchange for a few photos with Donald Trump, totally worth it. Absolutely worth the risk. Before we go, I've got a little poll that I'm taking. This brings us back to New York. Obviously, Pride Month is over. I think it's going to be Pride Year next year, though, so don't worry. That pretty soon you'll never have to end Pride. We can celebrate Pride 365 days a year. But in New York over the weekend at the Gay Pride Parade, Chuck Schumer, who voted for the Defense of Marriage Act, Chuck Schumer, who was against gay marriage until five seconds ago, Chuck Schumer decided to get a bullhorn, as always, and pander, pander, pander. Here is his big statement on gay rights. That's it. By the way, that's the only argument that is made during Pride Month is pride, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's just, just mindlessly saying these words without making any argument. But I wondered, there are two senators from New York, Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand, a couple of weeks ago, she made her grand statement on the gay rights movement in a bar wearing a rainbow shirt that said, love is brave. Here is her great thesis on gay rights. Okay, so we've got the two statements here. We've got pride, pride, pride from Chuck Schumer. And then we've got Kirsten Gillibrand staring off a camera, kind of bouncing around and saying gay rights. So I want you to go to my Twitter page and I just need you to vote right now on which Democrat New York senator has the most ridiculous pride pandering. We need to find out. This this will be a very highly scientific poll. That's all we've got today. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Walsh Show today, we're going to talk about this uh, domestic terror group Antifa and the the violent riot they staged over the weekend. They've done many of these things, uh, many of these violent riots. This maybe was the worst one yet. People were pepper sprayed, uh, bludgeoned with crowbars. A conservative journalist was put in the hospital with a bleeding brain. Uh, Just awful stuff. So we're going to talk about all that, including... What I think is the most concerning aspect, which isn't even the behavior of Antifa as, as, as dangerous and vile as it is, it's the reaction on the left or lack thereof. So we're going to get into that today as well over on the Matt Walsh Show.